We started a series a couple weeks ago, and now we're going to kind of be back into the routine for a while on uh, the miracles of the New Testament and the life of Christ. Uh, it's very difficult to put them in order. Um, the first two are easy. After that, it's kind of a free-for-all, and there's a lot of debate on which ones were next. Um, we talked about the first miracle, which was turning the water into wine. Um, and it was significant because there were a number of things through that, but you really see the power of Jesus Christ to take something that is common and transform it into something that's extraordinary. And that's a great lesson for us. Then in our lives, God wants to do the same thing. He wants to take that which is ordinary, us, and do something extraordinary. And for many of you, you think, well, you know, I'm just, just this. God can't really use me. I don't have that many talents. or You know, I can't play the piano like Juanita or or sing like me, or, no, um, <laughs> believe me, you don't want that. Uh, but I mean, you know, you're sitting there going, you know, I, I don't have those talents or gifts or abilities, and so God can't use me. No, 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 you need to understand, that, that is, it's one of the great lessons in that, in, that, in that miracles. God took ordinary water and, and, and changed it as something that had incredible value in that day and incredible significance of that day. And, and God wants to do the same thing for us. And so it was really the first of him starting his miracles. And so uh, we're going to come this morning to the second miracle. And we know it's the second because the Bible says it's the second. So uh, in John chapter 4, it's significant because the Gospel of John presents Jesus Christ as the Son of God. And in the Gospel of John, there are only seven miracles recorded, and this is one of them. Uh, so this becomes a fairly significant um, story uh, in and of, of itself. Um, this is the story in which the nobleman, um, his son is sick, about ready to die, and he goes to Jesus and asks Jesus to heal him. And Jesus does from a distance. And so there are a number of parallels between this story and, and the water um, turned into wine. Uh, some of the ideas are, are in, the, in the water to wine, it was Jesus showed his power over time. And in this story, you're going to see Jesus shows his power over distance. Um, in the first story, it was a wedding. Um, in the second story, it's almost a funeral. Um, in the first story, it's Mary asking Jesus, his mother asking a request of Jesus. In this story, it's a father asking for his son. Um, in uh, the first story, it's the joy that associates a, a wedding and all of the celebration. In this one, it's, it's the sorrow that accompanies having a child who's sick, about ready to die. So there are a lot of interesting parallels between between the first two um it's interesting to note and i want you to pay attention to it as i read it this morning very little attention is spent talking about the miracle in fact out of all the verses we're going to read this morning the miracle is one line that's it the focus of the story is the dad and the dad's response and you're going to see that over and over again as we as we go into the story so uh, and that's important because that tells us something about the way God works. Um, it tells us something about how God likes to, to, to do things. So uh, John chapter 4, here's the passage. Um, here's what he says um, in verse 43. After two days he left for Galilee. Now Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. Um, and when he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They had seen all they had done in Jerusalem at the Passover, and they had been there. Once more, he visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. And there 
was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. When a man heard that Jesus arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to meet he went to him and begged him, "Come and heal his son, who was close to death." Unless you see the miraculous signs and wonders Jesus told him, you'll never believe. The royal official said, "Sir, come down before my child dies." And Jesus replied, "You may go, your son will live." Now we're going to go on, but right now I just want to guys keep this up for a second and I want to walk through this part of it for us so that we get some some ideas here. Um Notice that first thing right there where he says Jesus leaves for Galilee and he points out that a prophet has no honor in his, country, in his own country. Um, if you looked at this on a map as far as Jesus was traveling, he's going really close to Nazareth, which is kind of where Joseph's carpenter shop was or Joseph's place of business was. And yet he doesn't do miracles in Nazareth. There are no miracles that he does in Nazareth. Now, one of the reasons is, he says, a prophet is, not, is, is without country, is without honor in his own country. If you were to look at the miracles of Jesus and the response, here's what you will see. If you were to, like, put them out on a map thing, here's what you'll see. The farther Jesus gets away from Nazareth, the more people respond to him. The closer he gets to Nazareth, the less response he gets. And he tells us why. A prophet is without honor in his own country, all right? Let me, let me tell you why I think that's important here. Many of you have been brought up in this area. People knew you when you were this size. And they've watched you grow up. They watched you in your wild years. And they watched you in your wilder years. And they saw you, some of you, in your wildest years. And then you came to a point where you put your faith and trust in Christ and things in your life took a 180 change. And you're excited about that and you try to go back to some of these people and tell them about what God has done and they don't respond. Why? A prophet is without honor in his own country. You see, people have a very hard time looking past your past. Don't let that discourage you. That's just a common thing. It happened to Jesus. Jesus had a difficult time ministering where everybody knew him. You know why? Because it's not because he was a bad kid or anything. Here's the thing. They couldn't get past him being the carpenter's son. In fact, in Son of the Miracles, he does some things and they say, "Is this not Joseph the carpenter? Is this not Jesus the the the, the carpenter's son?" They can't get past that image that they had of him. And for some of you, that's, you get frustrated by that. And it's like, I don't understand why these people won't listen to me. I don't understand why my family won't respond. I don't understand why they can't see the change. Oh, believe me, they see the change. Believe me, they see the change. But they don't want to acknowledge it. They would rather focus on your past. Because your past makes them comfortable. Your present change makes them very uncomfortable. So they don't want to deal with that. And so Jesus brings this up, and he goes, look, a prophet is not without honor in his own country. When he arrives in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They'd seen all he'd done in Jerusalem, pastoral feast, they'd been there. Once more he visited Canaan and Galilee, where he turned the water into wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son was lay sick at Capernaum. This doesn't mean a lot to you and I, but... 
you need to understand that when it says that there was a certain royal official, what that means is this person was probably a Roman rich guy. I just I, let it sink in for a minute. If he was a Roman rich guy, who did he serve? Caesar. He would actually, as part of Roman culture of the day, every year, once a year, say, go in and say, Caesar is Lord. He is a nobleman. That means he's got some fame. He's got some, some people following him. Um, yet this guy has a sick kid. And his riches can't fix it. But he hears about a guy named Jesus. The carpenter's son. And he decides that the welfare of his child so far exceeds his wealth and prominence and position that he's going to go to this guy called Jesus and beg him, humble himself and beg him to come back to his house and heal his kid. He knows he can't pay him because apparently he's figured it out that the guy's not taking any money for this, or he would have. He doesn't, like, send somebody else. He, and now think about this for a minute, his son is sick. His son is laying there dying, and he's going to walk away. He's not going to be there for him to take his last breath. He's not going to be there to try to comfort him. He is going to walk away from his dying son to go find Jesus. This tells you the desperation of this guy. This tells you the extent to which this guy believes that Jesus can actually do something here. Because the last thing you want to do is with somebody who's on their last breath is to walk away. And he does. He walks away from his son to go find Jesus. And notice what happens. He went to him and begged him to come and heal his son who was close to death. He says, you've got to come. Now, now picture this, this rich, fancy guy in his fancy clothes with his fancy camel or horse or whatever he had in his fancy shoes comes to Jesus and begs him, you've got to come help my kid. You've got to come help my kid. Come on, you know, you've got to go help my kid. You've got to help my kid. And Jesus looks at him, and notice what he says. He says, unless you people see miraculous signs and wonders, you'll never believe. He said, a lot of you guys, a lot of you people standing around here, you know why you're following me? For the show. You just want to see all of this stuff. Unfortunately, I would say that's a, that's a true of Christianity. I think there are a lot of people that are in it for the show. You know, I, you know I'll go, you know, I, okay. Oh, do I go there? Okay, I'm going to go there. I've been on vacation. I'm about half awake. So, there are a lot of people that go to church today for the show. And if the music's like not their music, then they got to go someplace where it's like their music. And if the preaching's not like their preaching, then they got to go somewhere for the different preaching. And ours. We've gotten away from it being about fellowship, the Word of God, prayer, and worship. Instead, it's become about all this other stuff. And don't get me wrong. I go to those churches. I love those churches. I get blessed in those churches. 
but I also get blessed when there's none of that. Why? Because to me, it's about worship, fellowship, prayer, not about the show. I'm, I'm not against doing things well. I'm not against having, having the, the nice stuff. I'm not against professionally done stuff. But when you start deciding a church based on that, I question, are you there for the show? Are you there for the Word of God, the fellowship of God's people, the worship of an Almighty God, and the prayer of the saints? Because that's what the early church was founded on. Those are the essential elements, Acts 2.42, of the church. It didn't say anything about PowerPoints and praise teams and, and, and preachers who run around the stage and all of that stuff. And, and, and Jesus said, look, some of you, the only reason you're here is for the signs and the wonders and the miraculous hoopla stuff. But notice what the, how the guy responds. The royal official said, sir, come down before my child dies. He said, look, I'm not here for the show. I just want you to help my kid. That's all I want. And now listen to what happens. Jesus says, you may go, your son will live. Now think about this for a minute. This guy has traveled, the distance, by the way, from his house to where Jesus is about 20 miles. He's traveled like over a day's journey to get Jesus to come back to his house. And Jesus looks at him and goes, it's done, go home. Now, here's my question, and I want you to put yourself in your position. Now, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? You haven't seen anything happen. You don't know what's happened. All you know is that Jesus looked at you and said, he's going to live, now go home. Because you know what this guy does? Look at the next verse. Verse 51. <clears throat> the man took Jesus at his word and departed. Okay, must be a done deal. I'm going home. So he heads back home, 20 miles. And notice what it says. While he was still on his way, the servants met him with news that his boy was living. So the servants watch this kid get healed, don't know why. They know that he went to go see Jesus. That's all they know. This, guy, this kid is healed, and they're like, hey, let's go get him. He didn't need to talk to Jesus anymore. So they, they hightail it up to where this guy was going, which tells me this guy told his family what he was doing, explained to his family why he was leaving. And notice what he says. <clears throat> when he inquired as to the time that he got better, they said, and the fever left him yesterday about 7 o'clock. This Roman time, Jewish time, it's probably about 1 p.m. He said, about 1 o'clock yesterday morning, yesterday afternoon. Why? Well, that's what it says. Then the father realized that was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, your son will live. So he and all his household believed. This was the second miraculous sign that Jesus performed, having come from Judea to Galilee. In this story, this guy's faith is incredible. Like I say, the whole healing thing took place in what? One sentence. Your, son, your son's well, go home. 
But the whole story is about this guy. And this guy who leaves his sick son, walks to Jesus. Jesus says a few words, and the guy says, if that's what you say, Jesus, that it's a done deal, I'm going home. And he turns around, and as he's walking back home, the guys meet him, and they meet him, and they go, look, you're not going to believe this, but your kid's fine. What time do you get better? About 1 p.m. Sit down, guys. I've got a story to tell you. And the family, the whole family ends up believing because of his faith. The whole family sees the hand of God. And as you go through this, you really see here the hand of God at work here. So, um, you know, a, a, a couple of things um, that, I, that I think are, are significant for us as we look at it. Um, first thing, first lesson, takeaway, whatever you want to call it. Um, when dad had a problem, he went to Christ first. I think this is significant. Because one of the things I think happens in Christianity, we go to God last. It's like, we'll talk to our friend about it, and then we'll talk to this person about it, we'll talk to that person and this person, and it's like, okay, you know what? Um, n- n- I've tried everything else, now let's pray about it. Instead of praying about it first. This guy, immediately, he's got a problem, he goes to Jesus. And think about what it cost him to go to Jesus. He had to literally have enough faith and trust in Jesus that Jesus could do this and that Jesus would do this, that he has to leave his son. He has that kind of faith. And i got to be honest with you, I don't believe he had the kind of faith. I honestly believe when he left, his intent was, Jesus is going to come back and fix my son. So I think he was a little bit dumbfounded when Jesus said, it's a done deal, go on home. But he has enough confidence in who Jesus was, and this is the second part of it, that he takes him at his word. No hocus pocus, no flaming anything, no big show. Just, and here's the key, simply the word of Christ was enough. That's all it was. Look, people want all of the stuff. But over and over and over again, in these stories here, what you're going to see, when Jesus performed miracles, there's not a lot of show. There's not a lot of flash. It's just simply often the word of God or the hand of God doing something. And here God simply says, you know what? He's healed, go home. And the guy believes and acts upon it and turns around and heads home. Say, how does that apply to me? Listen, if you could grasp that principle, you would be amazed what it would do in your life. Because see, we want the spectacular. Oh, you know, I've struggled with this issue for so long. I'm praying that God would miraculously deliver me and, and, and like take the desire away and poof, and there would be like some show or something. And, and it would, instead of saying, God simply saying, go do this. I have, I have people, I'll t- here's what will happen. Okay, you know what? We're struggling in our marriage. And you need to understand, if my wife would just change, it would all be better. Pastor, here's what I'm struggling with. You know what? If you can help me to get my wife to change, I know my marriage would be better. So you know what I do? I sit them down and I say, okay, let's talk about it. And you know what I talk about? Them. Let's work on changing you. Let's work on changing your response. She may or may not change. I don't know. 
That's not your issue. You can't change her. Your response is, how are you going to respond when she's mean? How are you going to respond when she's angry? How are you going to respond when she doesn't do whatever your expectations are that your wife should do? How are you going to respond? Oh, no, no, you don't understand. If she would just do these things, then my marriage would be good. No, no, you don't understand. The Bible says, let's work on you. The Word of God says that you are to treat her with honor and respect and dignity, and you are to put her on a pedestal. When was the last time you told her you loved her? When was the last time you did something for her? Who does the dishes at your house? Oh, she does. When was the last time you did them? Who cooks the meals? Oh, she does. When was the last time you said, honey, I'm going to cook a meal, and if you're a lousy cook, then you're going to bring a meal home? Or you're going to take her out to eat? When was the last time you honored her? Oh, no, no, you don't understand. Well, you know what? Now, I've been brought up to believe that, you know, if, if, if people are respectful to you, you be respectful to them. Really? How's that work for you in the world? Because the Bible says that you show honor and respect to everyone. The Bible says you're to be honorable towards all people. The Bible says you're to be kind and loving and forgiving to all people. How's that working for you? See, we want something magical. You know, people, people can, oh, you know, our marriage is going down. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. So I start asking questions. So how long have you been struggling? Oh, like 15 years. Okay. So, so what do you want? Well, we want to fix now, really. So you want me to take 15 years of history, wave a magic wand, come into my office for two hours, let me bless you, throw a little water or something on you, pop, I don't know, whatever. You walk out and miraculously, your wedding, your marriage, everything is now wonderful. Really? Believe me, if I would love to have that power. I would love to have that power. People just walk in my office and go, let's pray. Bingo, it's all done. doesn't work that way. It took you 15 years to get there. Let's plan on you getting out, taking 15 years to get you out. If we can do it shorter than that, great. Oh, no, it shouldn't work like that. It should be like, no, 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 no. You've got 15 years of history that we've got to undo. You've got 15 years of issues we've got to work through. You've got 15 years of problems that we've got to figure out. And it may go back long before that. It's not some miraculous thing. He said, well, how are we going to fix it? Here's what we're going to do. We're going to figure out what the biggest issues are. We're going to take the Word of God. We're going to see what God says. We're going to work on that one. When we get that one done, then you know what? We'll go to the next issue. And we'll walk through, and here's what you'll find. The more you do that, the easier it gets. And then when that becomes a lifestyle, before you know it, just simply doing what? The same thing this nobleman did, just simply responding to God's Word. That's it. That's it. Why? Because that, that's what he's teaching. He's simply he's telling these guys, he's showing these disciples, look, guys, I healed this guy, and he responded to my word. He believed me. That's faith. There were no signs. There were nothing. He put his faith and trust in what I said, and he acted accordingly. That's what God wants from each of us. So what kind of, what, you know, last week, you know, I mean, I know, I know it got a little hard on you last week when we talked about, government and authority and respect and that kind of thing 
But you know, what's the response? If that's what the Word of God says, that's what I need to do. Don't need to like it. You know, my kids, I never asked my kids when I disciplined them or when, when I had to change a, a direction that they were going, I never asked my kids if they liked my discipline. I always ask my kids, do you know I love you? Yeah, okay, good. You're still grounded, but I want you to know I love you. I love you. But we need to change course here. We need to change course here. This guy responds to his word, and, and, and that is so incredible in this story. Another point that you see in this thing is this, and this is important for Jesus to teach his disciples. I think this part of the story is more about the disciples than anything else. Jesus had to teach his disciples that he was at work and could work even from a distance. You see, this guy's kid's 20 miles away. Jesus heals him from that point to show his disciples that, look, I don't need to be physically present to work. I can work from this. Why? Because in three years, Jesus is leaving him. And I go, well, no, is he still there? Can he still work? Is his power still effective? So he starts laying out now, even in, in, in miracles like this, the idea that I am at work even from a distance. And, and this is what I would say to some of you, because some of you are hung up right here. You've been praying about something, and you want God to do something, and it's not happening, and your conclusion is God's not at work. And I would say, yes, God is at work. He's just not working it the way you want it to work. For two years, we tried to get it to work to move dirt. Didn't happen. Was God not at work? No, God was at work. God was at work stopping everything we were trying to do. Because he had a plan. He had a purpose. He had his way to do it. And in his timing, it happened. And we sit back and we go, you know, this is a God thing. Exactly. Whereas had we done it before, you know what it would have been? It would have been a, well, it's a God thing, but we work behind the scenes. God was still at work the whole time. There's a great principle um, um, Blackaby talks about in his book. He talks about this principle that God is always at work around you. The problem with most of us is we're so distracted by the world and by our world that we never see God at work. And he said, the real challenge in life is to be able to get up every day and see the hand of God at work. Um, we were in the hills all week. One of the reasons I enjoy going to the hills, that's an easy place to see God at work. It's an easy place for me to put down my phone. It's an easy place. I didn't even take a laptop this time. I sent out the church email. I borrowed Josh's laptop. I'm like, you know what? I don't even want to take a laptop. It was easy to sit... Um, so every morning is spent, again, I can't live like this. I would love to live like this. Every morning was spent with a cup of coffee in a hot tub overlooking the forest. And it's kind of cool to go, oh, wow. I can see God. You see God everywhere. Because you see his creation and you see the, all the intricacies and all the beauty and all of the, the things. And, and, and the world was like pushed aside. So I wasn't distracted by the world stuff by the everyday life stuff. And I kind of came back thinking, you know, if I could somehow start to incorporate that every day and to see God at work. To see God in the rain. To see God in 
at work around us. I mean, you know, look, most of us, how, mu how much effort did we put into planting stuff this year? And now we go out, see our tomatoes, peppers, whatever it is that you grew, that God took care of and, and, and does all of those incredible things so that we can enjoy them. You may think that in that situation you're praying so hard about and you want to see God do something that he's not at work, but he is. In this situation, this guy had the kind of confidence that when Jesus said, it's already a done deal, he had enough confidence to go, you know what? I know that God's at work. So God, if that's what you say, then that's what I'm going to go do. And he rejoices when he finds that out. And, and you know, and, and I just challenge you, because some of you are frustrated. You've been praying for something, and you've been asking God for something that hasn't happened, or it hasn't happened, or it hasn't happened. In God's time, in God's place, in God's way, he is still at work. And the last thing I think that you see in this is that, that just like last week God had the power to change life, here he has the power to restore life. This kid was dying. And Jesus gave him new life. Jesus restored his life to what it what original intent what he wanted it to be in the same way in your life god has that power to do that to you too that thing that you've kind of given up on um you know me if you if you've been around me any length of time one of the things i take great delight in is restoring stuff i love to see old stuff brought back to life i love to see stuff that people threw away throw away and you take it and you do it. One of the things in, in glass work that's, that's a hot thing right now is what's called repurposing. Where you, you, you take a piece of glass that most people would discard. And there, it's like we saw that this past week. My wife, my wife was like, um, anybody? Okay, I, I do glass work for fun. That's like my hobby. And, and what you need to know is if you go to my house and you see the things that we made, there's a bin of stuff that didn't quite make it. All right? Um, busted stuff, everything else. And I mean, it's a bin. It's a full bin, full of stuff. Because we're experimenting all the time. This person had taken those things and put them all in their flower garden. And so as the light would hit the different colors of glass, it was, it was really awesome. My wife's going, we could do that. And I'm like, yeah, I have a whole bin of stuff. Uh, yes, you can. Why? Because you can take something that normally would be thrown away and use it to bring beauty and joy and make it make it give it worth again that's what god does that's what god has great delight in doing and so those areas of your life that you may have kind of pushed aside and given up on let god restore them let god take some of those relationships with maybe kids or family members that have kind of deteriorated and bring them back to life let him take that marriage which has kind of gone and is picking up speed and stop it and bring it back to life. Let God work. Let him restore things because that's what he takes great delight in doing. So my prayer for you this week is this. That we would learn that time and space are no barrier to God. That he restores through his word and through our obedience. And that each one of us this week need to have faith and confidence in God's word, 
and respond properly to what God wants us to do. Let's live the life he intends, he intends for us to live and be the people he designed for us to be. Let's pray. Lord, help us. God, we've all got stuff that has gotten in the way. Lord, we all want easy fixes to complicated problems. Lord, we all want uh, quick solutions to things that uh, involve a tremendous amount of time and effort on our part. So Lord, help us to respond in faith, to respond obediently. That Lord, when we are confronted with issues, that Lord, as your word challenges us and gives us directions, that we would obey. And that, Lord, we would each be able to see your hand at work this week. That, Lord, we would trust in the fact that even though we may not be able to see it, we know you're at work. And we'd have the kind of faith that this nobleman did. That, Lord, the second you said that he was healed, that he turned around and went home. The Lord, use us, develop in us that kind of confidence. And we will give you the honor and the glory and the praise. These things we ask in your name. Amen. Um, let's stand together.